You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to NSPS Radio Hour. I'm trying to figure out if I should change that uh, initial statement that I make because I was going through a list of, not a list, but a group of the older shows on the archives recently, and it seems as though I start the show the same way every week. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but nonetheless, I'm glad that our listeners are with us today. Um, We have an interesting topic to discuss today. Uh, I guess I'll just refer to it initially as the proof of concept, and I'll let uh, uh, our, our guest, Christian Stallings, tell us more about that. And our, speaking of that guest, Christian Stallings is with uh, McKimmon Creed. And I think you're in the Wilmington office, I assume. Is that correct, Chris? Uh, no, actually, I'm based out of our Austin office. Oh, in Austin. Austin. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're you're among a number of people from the Austin area who have been on the show over time. <laughs> we uh, we've had a number of people in in surveying, and actually, our our uh, current um, head of our government affairs group, our committee, is a past president of NSPS in Austin. He works with uh, uh, Sam Inc. Oh, okay. Pat Smith. I don't know if you know Pat, but I do. I do know Pat. Yeah, Pat's Pat and I've been friends forever, it seems. But uh, nonetheless, well, that's cool. So now, having said that, though, I'm assuming the project we're going to talk about you you were there for the project that, and and you guys do have an office in Wilmington, of course. Yes. Is that is that the home office, by the way? Well, uh, yeah, Wilmington as well as uh, Raleigh, uh, our Raleigh office, um, our our corporate functions are kind of split between those two offices. I see. So, well, the the project we're going to talk about today um, is one that was done, uh, as I said before, as as a proof of concept project. And I guess in our conversations before, I'm sure we talked about it, Christian, but maybe you could tell the, our listeners um, a bit about how this came about, why, why the project was put together to begin with. Sure. So, um, first of all, this, this proof of concept project is a project that we did with an unmanned uh, system, a drone, uh, using a, a photogrammetric technique uh, or photogrammetry to create a topographical map. And how that kind of came about is we had been working with um, unmanned systems for a while. Uh, First off, I'm I'm a certified photogrammetrist. I've been working in photogrammetry for uh, about a decade. And we have been exploring the use of unmanned systems, doing a lot of testing and verification for about five years now. Um, And recently, obviously, it's become more and more prominent. We're hearing a lot more about it. Um, and during that, that, that time period, we had um, worked with numerous manufacturers and software developers, including Esri. Um, so we had a relationship with Esri. They had their um, FedGIS conference and had talked to some folks at the, the uh, FedGIS conference regarding the use of drones. <clears throat> and um, the, uh, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers in Wilmington had expressed an interest in 
and learning more about it. And that's kind of how we started uh, this whole process of setting up this proof of concept to kind of demonstrate what we'd learned over that course of time and, and where the technology was, the hardware, the software, and so forth. Yeah, the, the, uh, that core office in Wilmington, if I remember correctly, is one of the ones that over time, and I'm talking a long period of time here, um, a company I partnered in back in Blacksburg years ago, we did a, a bunch of work for them. Um, if I remember correctly, don't isn't the maybe you don't know this, but somehow I'm thinking the division line between the Wilmington district and whatever the next one to the west is is the the Eastern Continental Divide. I think that's oh, true. Really? Yeah, and and the reason that comes to mind is that that Eastern Continental Divide actually runs through the town of Blacksburg, Virginia, and so when we were doing core work. West of that divide, we were working with another office, and then on the east, eastern side, I'm pretty sure. I know we did work with Wilmington. I'm pretty sure that was the reason is because that's where they're located. Just a, another topography issue. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. I did not know that. That's interesting. So, um, in, in getting the project together, was it, did you guys do a mutual uh, think think? so to speak, of, okay, what do we want to prove and where do we want to do it, or is that something that you guys did on your own and came up with the, the site? Well, it's, some, it's something that we kind of came up on our own. So it was kind of, it was just a great uh, coincidence that all this happened. We had already been, had this relationship with Esri, um, and it happened to be the Wilmington office that um, expressed interest to Esri. Uh, we have an office in Wilmington. So all those things just kind of worked out that it, it was perfect for us to kind of demonstrate this. And uh, initially, really, Esri was interested in kind of showing the hardware as well as the software, including their, uh, their software, Drone to Map, which is um, a software for taking some of this photogrammetric information and creating point clouds, uh, uh, ortho photographs, and bringing that into a GIS workflow for their ArcGIS uh, software suite. So... Uh, because we had all this, um, you know, we had crews there, we had the resources, we, we suggested, why, you know, let's, let's do the whole thing. Let's treat this as if it was a real project. Let's kind of demonstrate not only what the hardware can do and the software, but let's also talk about what for us matters is, you know, how accurate is it? What can this replace? What can't this replace in the real world? So we set it up as we would any of our other photogrammetric projects where we laid out our control points that we're going to use to hold the imagery uh, during the um, autocorrelation or the, the arrow, excuse me, the arrow triangulation process. Um, and then we also laid out a bunch of checkpoints, independent blind shots randomly throughout the project that we could use after the data was processed to verify the actual products being created from it. So those are the same kind of tests we would do on any normal project um, because, you know, when you're using control points, has also points to verify, it always looks great. Uh, and it's important to have something that's independent of all that to verify it. So that's that's what we did, um, and it came out great. We had, um, you know, our, I shouldn't say great. It, it came out the same as the, it always does, for by and large. Is, uh, you know, we were less than 1,500s, um, uh, very accurate information. is suitable for the uh, potential intended mapping purpose of that data set. I see, and and I know in the article you talked about um, 
this particular project was was there on the coast and somewhat related to uh, I don't know if permitting is the right word that that those types of communities need um, when they're when they're dealing with the federal funding and that kind of thing. Um, so, was, did that play into the decision making, or was that just kind of coincidental too? I mean, obviously, this technology's the proving that you did is valid far beyond just on the beaches. I, 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 but I guess I was just curious if if it was tied somehow to that, or if that just was a convenient spot. There was a couple things that actually were just um, coincidence. Uh, it was Hurricane Awareness Week. That was a coincidence. Um, the, the, the Wilmington Corps actually had uh, the Charleston District up doing a terrestrial scan of the beach for, the, for an actual beach uh, renourishment project. Uh, that was just really good timing. It worked out great. Um, we were able to also incorporate, um, you know, the, the, um, this was before the, the, the most recent regulations, Part 107, so this was under Section 33. We were able to allow the, or have uh, the Wilmington police come and help um, keep people, non-participants, out of the area we were surveying. Um, and uh, the uh, Audubon Society <laughs> was able to come and monitor the birds, uh, that were nesting at the time. So there's a lot of things that just kind of came together that allowed us to, re- you know, really test quite a few things. Um, you know, the birds were not disturbed during the flights. That That's great to know. They they, they could care less about the, the little flying quadcopter flying <laughs> back and forth over the beach. Um, and we were able to, um, you know, compare the uh, terrestrial LIDAR that was collected the exact same day and held with the same control, verify with the same checkpoints. We compare those two data sets together. Um, and uh, there were some beach profiles that were collected uh, several weeks prior to that. So we had yet another data set to compare to. So some of that stuff was planned. Some of it was just really good luck and coincidence to be able to compare all those things together. Yeah, you you mentioning the birds is not not something that actually had come top of mind to me about the use of of drones. I Want to know if your Seanstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Seanstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.schonstedt.com. Quick Stakes. Is your answer to staking lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes? Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Getting into underground utility location? If so, you'll want to know about the Seanstadt Instrument Company's MPC kit, a multi-purpose combo for locating both ferrous objects and underground pipes and cables. 
and because it consists of two instruments in one package, it qualifies for trading allowances on two locators, any kind, any make, any condition. Contact your dealer for details or visit www.shonstat.com. That's S-C-H-O-N-S-T-E-D-T dot com. Want to know if your Shonstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Shonstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.schonstedt.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Okay, well, we've obviously had a little bit of technical difficulty with, uh, I'm, I'm not sure where the difficulty was, but uh, Kurt went away, his guests went away, and uh, America's Web Radio temporarily went away for a second. So we're back on the air with uh, Kurt Sumner and the NSPS Hour. Kurt's on the line with us, so we've got him back. we got to transfer him in, though, right quick. I'm scratching around here trying to find it. (laughs) Well, this is what's called live radio. Radio. uh, That's right. That's what happens. Sometimes all the uh, pieces of the puzzle work just fine, and other times uh, there's a glitch. And uh, I think this was a glitch with our conferencing uh, folks, unfortunately. I've got his phone number right here. And. if you can get a hold of him to call us back, call back into the conference number, that would, uh, that should work well. And uh, hopefully he's realizing that uh, he's not on the air. But things happen, and uh, so we, uh, I, we're positive that Kurt will get a hold of his guest Christian, and uh, we will continue the NSPS hour momentarily. Something happened at the station. We got knocked um, off. Can you call back in? Okay, thanks. By the way, Kurt, I'm going to correct you on that. It wasn't at the station. Oh, it wasn't? No. Don't blame the station for this one. Um, no, I don't know what So happened. we don't know what happened? No, I, I think the uh, conference people had a uh, problem or something. Uh, oh, I see. Okay. It, it got all, all three of us at the same time, which... That wouldn't be the station. That would be uh, something else. Anyway, very interesting show that you all are doing. And uh, as always, and we get, uh, I know you get a number of compliments about the show, and we certainly do too. And we see it in the numbers and appreciate uh, the numbers. And uh, Parker Davis Quick Stake sees it in the numbers as well, and they appreciate it. So everybody appreciates what you're doing. Well, it's certainly fun. Christian, are you back yet? No, there he is. There he is, Christian. You're back with us, right? Yeah. Sorry about that. I'm not okay. sure what happened. Well, it was a glitch somewhere along the line, and we all got knocked off the air. So, okay. Uh, but but we're back now, David. How much time do we have before the next break? 
Uh, we've got about uh, 13 and a half minutes. 13 and a half? Yeah. yeah. Oh, about okay. About 13. That, that's what we'll do. All righty. Thanks. Sorry for the audience that, that the glitch occurred. No, we don't really know what happened, Christian. We just all got knocked off the air. So uh, I don't know if it was a satellite problem. I, I, what I'm thinking is one of those birds I was talking about must have, <laughs> <laughs> must have interfered with the with the transaction. I don't know if you heard what I was saying because it took me a while to figure out I was off the air. Uh, but I was talking about the fact that uh, the whole bird thing was a little intriguing to me because that's something I hadn't thought about in using drones if if the bird population had an interest in that and and i was the comment i made was there's usually lots of birds along the the ocean front so i was just curious if if you had uh, inquiring birds in the area when you were doing the work not at all um some birds do um you know you'll have um birds of prey will be interested um you know and there's plenty of videos on the internet where you can find uh, birds of prey taking out different types of uh, uh, fixed-wing drones as well as quadcopters. And I can't remember what country it is, but there was um, a country in Europe where they were training uh, birds of prey to actually take out quadcopters um, that were wow. flying illegally in, in places they shouldn't. So, <laughs> I mean, you're in their space, but the uh, uh, you know most of the seabirds, they uh, like the... Uh, uh, the volunteers, the Audubon Society said they, they could care less. Um, one thing that was kind of interesting that was completely unrelated to anything, it was uh, close to turtle um, nesting time, and we had laid out a lot of photo-identifiable targets, which are these, um, you know, these ceramic tiles that are painted with an X that we would survey on the beach so we had a nice flat surface to survey, and then we put stakes around them so no one would mess with them. After all the surveys were done, um, the the, the the drone surveys and the terrestrial um, scanning and everything else that we did, uh, we came back to pick some of those, all those up uh, off the beach. And uh, one of the McKim and Creed employees was picking these up uh, and removing them, and someone came up to him and said, what are you doing? Don't move those. And he said, I beg your pardon. He said, well, how are the, the turtles going to find their way back to the ocean? <laughs> he had to explain to this, this woman that these had nothing to do with that at all. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that whole turtle thing is an interesting uh, process. I've been I have some friends who have a place on the uh, at Ponte Vedra on the beach, and we've been there a couple of times when all of that was going on in one stage or the other, uh, coming or going or nesting or what have you. But that's that's a pretty interesting concept. The way that all turns out. <laughs> so you were talking earlier about the the comparisons. Mm-hmm. of your conventional survey, terrestrial LIDAR, and then the aerial LIDAR. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about how, how that worked out. Sure. So um, we were, um, like I said, we collected all these data sets at the same time, and we were able to create surfaces from each of these data sets, and we did a delta uh, Z surface or normalized surface uh, from these different surfaces. So basically we take the the two different surfaces, we overlap them on top of each other, and we subtract the difference. And we create a new raster um, of that surface that's a derivative of the two, which is really just the delta between them, to kind of get an idea of uh, places where it doesn't fit well and does. And um, interestingly enough, when we 
prior to doing that, when we were doing our, our RMSE reporting from our independent checkpoints, uh, both surfaces hit, or um, I guess hit the control, had a similar delta except in opposite directions. So they were both around 1,300, um, but they were in opposite directions. So the, um, the mean uh, w- was, I think, negative on the uh, terrestrial and positive on the, uh, the UAS. Um, about that much. So, you know, adding those two together, I mean, that's why we always talk about plus or minus. That just happened to be perfectly plus and minus. Uh, but the delta between those two surfaces, uh, you know, taking that into account was less than three-tenths uh, in all the uh, non-vegetated areas. So in the overall sense, that's, I won't say insignificant, but it's it's certainly, I would think, tolerable in terms of trying to make that comparison about am I going to get what I want and I guess yeah. and maybe the answer to that is how how tight if that's the right word how close does does the data really have to be for whatever the purpose is exactly so early in my career I, I had a, a great mentor always told me what's the intended mapping purpose right. um, you know and that's what dictates what tool you use when you use how you use it yeah, and I, I think that's a really good point, actually, because sometimes the nature of who we are and the nature of the work we do, we get caught up about maybe being more concerned about that than we necessarily need to be for every job. Like you said, that intended purpose should be our driver, not the fact that we have the capability to do it to a tighter tolerance, so to speak. Exactly. So did you get feedback or did you share your results with with all the folks who showed up to that, that had an interest for their purposes or were they just there to observe and get an idea of how the technology works? Yeah, we were able to share all of our results the next day. So uh, after we did the, uh, the flights and the live demonstration the next day, we met in the uh, Wilmington uh, Corps office and all the... Um, the folks that were there to observe the proof of concept, we were able to show all of our results the very next day, those comparisons uh, to the, the terrestrial data and the uh, um, profiles that were collected and the uh, residuals to our uh, checkpoints and, and our control points as well. So that's, that's another great thing about this tool. You know, we were able to get a really dense point cloud um, of the entire beach um, and, and be able to present the accuracies on that point cloud the very next day. Um, and, you know, those that, that point cloud that's being created, I guess the other thing that should be mentioned is that it's very dense. Um, you know, one of the kind of the, the differences between, you know, doing survey and doing LIDAR or point cloud processing, usually it's, it's the difference between, you know, precisely measuring what you want and kind of the shotgun approach of, collecting lots of XYZs uh, in, in an area. So the point cloud created from this process, um, there are about 40 points per square meter, so 40 different measurements within a one square meter. Wow. That's a lot of data. Yes, it is. Now, what, is, what does it take to, uh, and maybe our audience probably understands what this is, but it's probably worth talking about once you get that data in hand then um 
is that where the the Esri applications came in and processing? Uh, once we had the raw data, actually, so Esri's focus has been kind of the entire process of, you know, once you've collected this this raw information, taking that and creating the point cloud I just spoke of and the, the ortho photograph, that's what their tool, Drone to Map, is for. Um, it's using a um, PIX40 engine, which is a very um, popular, uh, well-known um, structure from motion processing software. Um, and there's some kind of built-in features um, that Esri has built into that on top of that engine to kind of streamline that process. And they want to kind of create a, a whole life cycle for this for a lot of their existing customers to creating that point cloud, creating that raster, using some of the different Esri tools within the model builder, builder or um, you know, the, some of their other toolbox tools to, to create processes um, to get all the different derivative products from that. So they're looking at kind of the whole life cycle and fitting it into the things that their customers always already do. So this was a good, um, maybe test isn't the right word, but a good application for, for their software as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So do you know if, it, if what it, was your exercise the first time anybody had used that software for a purpose like this? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I can tell you that it was the, the software drone to map was just coming out of beta at that point. Uh, this process that we're talking about, though, has been around for quite some time. Um, we've been doing it ever since um, there's been soft copy photogrammetry, except it used to take uh, a lot um, really big computers, and it would take a very long time to create a, a not quite as, not even close, I guess, uh, dense point cloud. We would use it to create surfaces to do ortho, um, um, you know, create ortho photographs. Um, so the process itself is not new. The, the, this kind of what I guess they're grouping out of structure from motion is that same process that we've done for a really long time uh, on steroids because um, it, it's, you know, utilizing a lot more uh, processing power and creating much more robust data sets than what we were doing with this process. Uh, in the decade prior. Yeah, it seems like just on the surface that this this type of approach would be very useful in areas, um, perhaps for lack of a better term, like a restricted area where you might have trouble uh, getting clearance to, to fly over someplace to take to uh, to get information for us. A, you know, relatively small site. And again, I'm going back to experience when years ago I I was talking about the the Wilmington Court, and mm-hmm. uh, one of the jobs we were doing back in those days was on an army ammunition plant. And so I could see where if we had something that we needed, we needed to survey, you know, several acres or even bigger than that, maybe this this would be a great asset to have rather than have to set up the whole thing to go fly it and try to get that information. You would think so, but actually it's it's quite the opposite. Um, is so that right? Because this is, yeah, because this is new, um, and, and I will actually um, 
commend the FAA. They've done a, a, a tremendous job uh, compared to some of the uh, other initiatives that the FAA has taken on uh, over the um, you know last 50 years. That this has moved really fast for them. So I do actually applaud them for where we are today, but we still have a ways to go. So you, you have this new tool, and you're trying to fit it into a regulatory box that's existed prior to these tools, and there's been some challenges there. Um, and the how many they are, I mean, they outnumber manned aircraft at this point. Um, there's, you know, the magnitude of this is another issue. Um, so they they've been kind of slowly um, kind of integrating these into different airspaces. So there's there's places where you cannot fly drones uh, commercially or uh, as a hobbyist. Uh, they're uh, restricted places, uh, Washington, D.C., or over stadiums are some good examples. Uh, but interestingly enough, I can, um, you know, through the FAA, there's a process. If we had a, a um, project that was directly over the White House or Congress, there's a process, and we can get a manned aircraft with the U.S. Marshal over there to fly that project. Um, right now, there's no process to do that with a drone. Uh, same goes for, uh, you know, a military site uh, where they're doing live ammunition. There's a process to talk to through the FAA, to talk to the base, to get clearance. And we can fly that with a manned aircraft right now for that particular I think we're, use case. I think we're about to the time allotted uh, to get back on schedule. So let's go to our break, and we'll come back and okay. pick up on this in a couple minutes. Hopefully Getting we'll get into that. underground utility location? If so, you'll want to know about the Schoenstatt Instrument Company's MPC kit, a multi-purpose combo for locating both ferrous objects and underground pipes and cables. And because it consists of two instruments in one package, it qualifies for trade-in allowances on two locators. Any kind, any make, any condition. Contact your dealer for details or visit www.shonstat.com. That's S-C-H-O-N-S-T-E-D-T dot com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're back for our third segment, and we didn't leave this time because we were knocked off the air. We left because it was commercial time. So uh, we're, we're back with, with Christian Stallings today. And you were talking about, before the, the break, um, a, a misconception. And, and actually, I hadn't really thought of it from the perspective of the approval and getting all the necessary um, things set up to do it because it's new technologies and all that. I was really only thinking of it from the perspective of... If I've got to go do one site, it's 
this seems like it would be a better tool to use than have to fly an entire uh, like a, a you know a topography flight or something. That that was a, what I was thinking about. But I do understand the whole thing about the regulatory side of it. That's still being worked out apparently. Yeah, well, actually, it's a good segue to kind of talk about a couple different things. So when we talk about using a tool like this, um, one thing I think that's that's lost with a lot of the different communities because you know there's people from Silicon Valley, the tech community, that are involved with this. There's kind of traditional hardware software providers like Esri or Autodesk or Bentley involved with this, and then there's the end users. Um, like our company or clients who hire our company to do this kind of stuff. And so there's all these people coming from different, um, you know, perspectives to this technology and, and seeing the the value of it. And, you know, as, as a company that offers this service, we look at it from three different, uh, I guess you kind of general, uh, generalize into three different categories, which is the there's the technology itself, what it can and can't do. And, you know, that's, a lot of times, especially people from the, the tech community, Silicon Valley and so forth, that's the, the way they approach it kind of wholly, just that piece. But the technology can do this. I don't understand why we don't do this. Uh, the other piece is the regulation that we, we just talked about, that, you know, there's regulatory limitations. You know, it's important that we do things safely and within the, the uh, bounds of the law, always. So that's that's important, you know, obviously not only to abide by the law, but to, to keep people safe and, you know, promote using tools the correct way. And then the third piece that, um, uh, you know, um, service providers like us think about is the uh, the economics of it. So the technology, the regulation, economics. And for a tool to really have significance and, and value, it needs to be as, you know, similar in accuracy and cost of other means of doing things or else, you know, you're just using technology for the sake of technology. Yeah, that's very true. And, uh, of course, this one has has taken on sort of a life of its own, it seems, outside of our professions with, like you mentioned earlier, how easily available the, the basic tool is. Um, and so I guess that's... That, I assume must be playing a part in the overall processing of getting maybe even on the regulatory side is um, dealing with all of those different things that are out there and these things being in almost anybody's hands. I mean, it's different from, like you said earlier, it's different from flying an airplane. It's it's different from buying a you know forty or $50,000 piece of equipment to go do surveying with. Um, and so with all the different players involved i can see what a what a struggle that must be to sort of parcel out if you will who can do what and and where do you cross the lines and all those kind of things and i honestly i don't even know where that is at this point in the whole process i'm assuming it's not settled yet no not not at all we're um you know that's it, it's interesting times right now um you know, there's there's a, there's several things going on. Uh, one thing I, I like to joke about as a photogrammetrist is with other photogrammetrists and people in our industries. You know, people are really interested in what we're doing. They, you know, they're googling photogrammetry more. People who are not traditionally in survey and civil engineering and photogrammetry, they they want to learn about this uh, and, and and perhaps do it for a living one day. 
Um, and I, I joke that, you know, photogrammetry will never be this sexy again. This is, this is the hype of it right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. People want to know about it. And, that there, you know, the future, the, it'll go back to kind of the obscurity that it always has been. Um, so there's a lot of interest with people outside of our industry uh, because of this, this hardware and the ability to create these 3D point clouds, these, these, these models from these relatively inexpensive pieces of hardware compared to some of the tools we've used in the past. Um, but that's also creating a lot of challenges because, um, you know, the, the, the people who want to provide services from this who aren't traditionally, you know, they haven't been trained formally in civil engineering or survey or photogrammetry, don't know a lot about what we do. They don't know a lot about the clients that use uh, these, um, these products. That come from these tools. So, um, but what? So they have that, and then also you have a lot of people from the Silicon Valley technology world who, justifiably and understandably, just they want to sell a lot of product. Um, you know, they're trying to create a new product. That I, I call it the Uberization of um, of survey. Um, we see this in a lot of things where they want to uh, Uberize, um, you know, different um, industries and disrupt it. But I think that, um, you know, some of the problems that they're creating um, are significant and potentially dangerous to end users of data. And and from that, I assume you mean from the perspective of the data you get isn't the data you thought you're getting or doesn't serve the actual purpose you wanted? Yeah. So mapping, you know, to me, mapping matters. And, and you know, the reason we have licensed professionals do a lot of this stuff is because, uh, you know, the integrity of what you're, um, you know, the numbers you're presenting are important because survey is the foundation of so many things that come afterwards. So if you're creating a map and measuring things and you're putting your stamp on it, you, you know, you're certifying that, you know, the your stamp is on the line and your, your reputation is on the line that this is accurate because there's a lot of work that's going to come afterwards. That's going to be quite a lot more expensive than the survey piece. Often it's one of the least expensive parts of a large civil engineering project. So when you have people who don't understand how to verify that, that don't have the skin in the game like that, um, you know, if something's incorrect and there's processes done afterwards and a lot of money spilt, spent only to find out that, the basis, the foundation, the, the survey provided was incorrect, um, that costs a lot of money um, and time and potentially risks people's lives. Um, so that's why, you know, to me it's really important. And, I, you know, when you try to Uberize things, you're, you're taking that out of it, um, and I think you're creating, um, you know, a real potential problem. And a lot of people look at licensure as if, it's something that, you know, people who are licensed are trying to protect our licenses and protect our jobs. And in reality, we're trying to protect the public. And I think that's something that's not stated enough. Yeah, and I think, um, actually, I'm glad you brought that topic up because there's a, a, there's a I won't say a vast effort, you know, no, no huge conspiracy. I mean, that's not what I'm talking about. But there is a movement um, around the country uh, regarding licensure and regulation in terms of what needs to be licensed. And, and my perspective on that is that a lot of that comes from, 
from the political side, people looking at how can we save money uh, on these licensing boards? Are they really needed for all these activities? And there's hundreds and hundreds of them. It's amazing to me how many there are that, that are within the licensing structures. And so it, the tendency seems to be that, okay, let's look at it. And it's like, let's take the whole basket and look at it rather than maybe there's some of these things over here that are really, really important, like surveying, engineering, architecture, those kind of things. Um, but I think the point you made about this sort of uberization mentality, I think that lead, lends itself to have the, the people who don't understand all the things you just said to look at even what we're doing and question it because, well, why do you need that anymore? I, I, and I don't know, I haven't seen any instances yet where any of those three that I mentioned, and obviously there are others as well, um, have actually been seriously challenged in terms of do we need this. But I can see where as technology advances and the, the mentality of the public looks at it differently, where that, where that can continue to be a challenge for us, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when, when you talk about the basket of licensures, because you're right, there's a lot of different movements in, in different states. What I think is interesting is that uh, engineers and surveyors get lumped in that basket um, with, um, you know, uh, nail salons, licensed nail salons. But, but doctors don't, <laughs> which I think well, is true. interesting. Yeah. If I was creating baskets, I think I would put us in that, that second basket with the doctors and more, you know, and lawyers and, and, and those kind of professions, not the, the licensed nail uh, salon. But, yeah, that's, that's you know, it's it's scary. And, and you know, the, the potential ramifications to the public, not just the, the people who are licensed doing this, are significant. Um, I think that the potential for, you know, high-cost uh, mistakes is going to increase. I think the drones create that problem where you have a tool that can do you know do these act create these accuracies but it also takes a professional to say you know don't this in this use case this tool is not the right choice or based on the residuals i'm seeing from this you know there's something inconsistencies in this flight this data isn't isn't quite right um and, and being able to sit you know raise those flags that's that's important, and if you don't have that skill set, and you know you're just putting data out there and just trusting that the the black box did what it was supposed to do. So, I, to me, that's really dangerous. Yeah, I think so too. And and we're a minute and a half away from our break, but I'll just I'll just say that I, I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying about um, people understand how vital what doctors do. Um, they understand in in the cases where they're applicable how important it is what attorneys do and 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 what have you but i think that just goes to uh demonstrate or be indicative of the fact that whether by lack of effort on our part or whether just not enough knowledge about what people in our professions do um, I think causes some of that that you were just talking about. Nobody questions the others, but the, what we do gets lumped into the others just because I think people don't really grasp what it is. They just don't understand what it is we're doing and how critical it is to whatever the case may be. So I think it's something we'll need to 
continue to keep our eye on, and perhaps the fact that all this technology we're talking about today has come to be will um, increase our own awareness among our professions of all of these issues that are out there that maybe sometimes we sort of slough off to the side and say that's that's not going to affect us one way or the other, but now we're seeing different different activities and things that, that make it happen. So let's go to our last break, and we'll come back in a couple of minutes and finish up. Want to know if your Seanstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Seanstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.seanstedt.com. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not... Get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. So we're back with Christian Stallings. We're talking about a particular project, but a, a bigger issue in terms of technologies and where things are headed and how the impact uh, on the, the public, the impact on the profession, the impact on our abilities to get things done with all the new technologies. And it seems, Christian, that we go through this. It's a repeated cycle. Uh, you know, what I've always often said on the show, when I started surveying in the 60s, there were we were using equipment 100 years before us, and it's changed uh, numerous times between then and now in terms of what has come along and all the changes that have occurred and new technologies happening. Um, and being a, capable of embracing all of them, and you know, I think that kind of gets to the education side that we discuss all the time in surveying. It's getting to the point where you really have to have a, a really strong knowledge base, um, education one way or the other, to be able to utilize all this equipment. Um, that wasn't necessarily the case years ago. I mean, you had to understand how to use one sim- somewhat simplistic piece of equipment, basically. But with all the changes, it's really interesting. So I'd, I'd be interested in your perspectives on the future surveyor, so to speak. Sure. Uh, one, one thing I will say, though, is that um, that one skill set that I think was probably a lot better is your ability to do longhand math. <laughs> well, uh, no, no question about that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a very valuable tool, I might add. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of I'll tell you what our approach with this um, um, is that this is a tool that, that we've, we've spent a lot of time validating, and we feel that in the right circumstance, it, it is a valid tool. Um, so during that process of, of 
uh, assessing these tools, one of the things that we did is we wanted to focus on, uh, you know, the biggest sensors on the smallest drones because, you know, our we want to put these in the survey trucks, and our survey trucks are filled with a lot of equipment. We got a piece of equipment that's going to take up the entire survey truck. That doesn't make sense. Uh, likewise, if we have a piece of equipment that cost $100,000 that we have to depreciate in a year, that doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't save our clients any money. So we've been focusing on small drones with big sensors, and early on one of the things that we did is we, we incorporated um, a Sony QX1 camera system with a small quadcopter. Um, the significance of that camera is it's, a, it's what we call an APS-C sensor, so it has a really large sensor. We have some really nice prime lenses that we were able to put on it. Um, later on, uh, 3D Robotics um, created, and they're still selling, a product called SightScan, which has basic, essentially a very similar camera to that. It's still the APS-C sensor. It's still um, the same optics. It's just uh, the firmware and the it's wired a little different to work more directly with the drone. But that's the kind of model we wanted because these are I don't want to say they're inexpensive, but they're they're certainly less expensive than some of the other options that were out there, and we knew what accuracy we could get with them. So we wanted to kind of focus on these smaller systems that we could depreciate quicker that would cost our clients less um, and still get the accuracies we needed. So the model that we're kind of building is what we call a, um, I guess, a decentralized um, drone operation. A lot of companies are creating a centralized drone operation where you have a drone group, and this is a group of flyers that go around and they, they collect the information. The, the philosophy that we had is we want to empower our field crews, our surveyors that we already have with an additional skill set because through all of our testing, one thing that, that we know for sure is that you're never going to get rid of the survey component of this, even with the R2K system drones even with the, the post-process drones, you still need the surveyor. You still need to verify this. We fly a million and a half dollar LIDAR units, and we still collect survey, and we always will, because it's not good enough to say it's, it's accurate. You have to be able to prove it. So we want to um, empower the surveyors to have an additional skill set, and um, the FAA has created a path for this. It's called Part 107. This is a pilot's license um, that we're having our field techs um, you know, study for and part of our training. It, after that is the, the proper process of using these tools safely and how to incorporate them into what they're doing. Um, and then some of the things that we're doing with them, some examples of the types of projects, the, some more simple stuff like doing volumetrics or landfills or quarries. Um, and another kind of example of a, a good use for a drone is actually uh, an altitude survey. So beyond the, the, the stuff that we have to do on the ground with the boundaries, um, the kind of, this is the sidewalks and the paint stripes and stuff like that, as opposed to getting them traditionally, uh, digitizing those off of this accurate information. So that's just another example of, of, of a way that a, a, um, a drone can save time in the field. Uh, there's certain things that we have to get, and then there's things that we can have our office techs do instead of our field techs. What's the the training process and credentialing process? Is that uh, time consuming um, in terms of you know the training, preparing somebody to go to go do the credentialing, um, and then I guess it, once they get to credentialing, I don't know how that process works exactly. Maybe explain that a little bit. 
Yeah. So the so the FAA process, the Part 107 component of it, this is the licensure. So um, there's different types of pilots that are part of the uh, FAR, which is the, the Federal Airmen Regulations. And, um, you know, most pilots fall under what we call Part 61. The FAA created this new uh, part of the FAR called Part 107. That's the unmanned pilot portion of it. And to pass that, you, you have to go to an FAA testing facility and you take a test. And once you pass that, you be um, you get your license to be a 107 pilot. Um, that process itself, uh, you know, could be um, as simple as a, a week's time. Someone could potentially study that week, um, you know, schedule an appointment, go take it and pass it. So it could be that quick. Um, but that's just the means to pass the test. Um, but we kind of have a process. Uh, that's a little more involved because not only do we want them to pass the test and be able to use it, the, the tool legally, um, the FAA, we want them, it also fit in with our safety standards that exist as an organization. So ours is a little more involved, and it incorporates our company's SOPs uh, to, to not only meet their safety requirements but ours as well. Yeah, so I guess it's like anything else. Um Obtaining a license to do something, whatever it may be, uh, in particular use of equipment, uh, you know, I kind of equate that to, to driving a car, right? <laughs> we, we, you go through the process of learning to drive, so to speak. You go take a test, you get your license. Doesn't necessarily mean at that point you're ready to be turned loose on the public. Um, <laughs> exactly. And, and, and in a different sense, I guess we're talking about that here, not that people are going out there trying to harm the public but i get the whole thing of yeah you go through the process and then you want to make sure that that for your own purposes in your company people are understand what it is you're trying to do and what the applications are i i'm i'm a little intrigued and you're not the first person i've heard talk about the use of the of the drones for the plt and sps surveys uh but what a tool though man i that's just amazing to me because um you get so much information that was extremely time-consuming if you're trying to do that on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that that's probably changing the criteria of of clients as well now that you have that capability. I mean, and I certainly understand the parking spots and all those kind of things. That's always been part of the process one way or the other, and this certainly facilitates that. But I guess I could, what I intend to say was I guess it maybe raises the expectation a little bit of a client <laughs> that, hey, we can get this now, and, and it's not going to be necessarily uh, adding several days to the project. Well, you know, one of the things that I've heard in, in regards to the Ulta uh, survey is that on paper, if you include the ortho photograph and if you've looked at them, they do get quite noisy. So, you know, there's a certain look that people still like. So as much mm-hmm. as you can uh, maintain that, that look, I think that's what clients want right now. Um, having the, the ortho photograph for other uh, purposes, I think, has some appeal. But in the Alta itself, um, a lot of them like it maybe as a second sheet with that. Uh, but they still want their their original sheet to look like they're used to. Yeah, like the the old one that we would go out and locate all the curbing and the storm inlets and the parking stripes, and then 
years ago, we hand drafted them on the drawing, <laughs> and then we got the CAD. Uh, but I, I can see where that look is what they'd still be interested in seeing, at least till they get accustomed to a different look. I guess. Yeah, that, that would make sense. So, and we got almost three minutes left. I'm curious about your thoughts on here we are at this stage and you just did a project that was, I think, successful in achieving the goal you wanted to achieve in terms of usage of this this technology. Uh, how does one predict what's next? Um, that, you know, it, it's, you know, that's difficult to say. <laughs> uh, you know, some people have predicted things accurately. Some things have always been a surprise. What I think is going to happen I think the next year or so is going to be a little bumpy for a couple of reasons. Um, from a technology standpoint, I think there's a lot of agreement that this tool is capable of meeting a lot of different accuracy specs that we use. So I don't think there's a lot of question there. I think the regulatory issue, the licensure about who could provide these services is going to be hotly debated, and rightfully so. I think um, that uh, there's there's a lot of money in this from uh, venture capitalists and some other people, and some people have already lost some money, uh, but I think there's more money to be lost on the venture capital side uh, while they try to figure this out and all these things come together. Uh, what I hope happens, though, and you're seeing some companies do this, is coming and talking to companies like ours, uh, the, the, the engineering companies, the survey companies, and learning what we do instead of trying to create um, what I call create a solution looking for a problem, come talk to us and figure out what, what are the client needs, what are the actual problems, and create solutions for that. As opposed to trying to create a tool that disrupts and puts us out of a job, create tools that empower us to do our job. I think that's important. And that's yeah. the way this is going to move forward. Because we, you use a tool incorrectly, um, and it's no fault of the tool, people think that the tool isn't any, it's not, not going to do what they need. And we've had right. clients like that where they said, well, we tried a drone, uh, we hired someone, and it was terrible. And, you know, you go through that process explain, well, we, we feel that it would be right for this particular application, and we feel that perhaps the person who was providing it for before didn't really understand how to do that. Well, I appreciate you being with me today, uh, Christian. It's been great to have you on the show. Sorry for the little blip we had. We'll figure out where that came from eventually, I guess. But I do appreciate it. It's been great having this conversation and, and hearing the perspectives that you guys have. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, hopefully we'll chat again, and maybe we'll even get to meet sometime soon. <laughs> so take care. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.